Well, turn, we, turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles to Psalm 81. Psalm 81. We're going to read the entire psalm, including the a superscription at the top. If you're learning your way through the Bible, the Psalms are typically right in the center. Just open your Bible right to the middle. You'll find the book of Psalms. I know it's an old joke, but it's the only one I have. Psalm 81 is found right in between Psalm 80 and Psalm 82. Sorry, that's all I've got for you. Psalm 81. Beloved saints, this is our God's word to us this evening. Let us give our full and undivided attention to it. To the choir master, according to the Gittith of Asaph, sing aloud to God our strength, shout for joy to the God of Jacob, raise a song, sound the tambourine, the sweet lyre with the harp, blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon on our feast day. For it is a statute for Israel and a rule of the God of Jacob. He made it a decree in Joseph when he went out over the land of Egypt. I hear a language I had not known. I relieved your shoulder of the burden. Your hands were freed from the basket. In distress you called and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. Hear, O my people, while I admonish you, O Israel, if you would but listen to me, there shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe toward him and their fate would last forever. But he would feed you with the finest of wheat and with honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. So ends the reading of our God's word. Uh, let us ask his blessing on our time in it this evening. As the heavens are higher than the earth, our God, so are your ways higher than ours, and so are your thoughts higher than ours. We're here because we want to know you. We want to know your truth. We want to know your ways. So we ask that you would teach them to us, that you would guide us in them, that you would teach us to know you and to seek after you with all of our hearts and with all of our minds and with all of our strength. Do this, we pray, even now as we draw near to you in your word. Amen. Well, there's an old saying, and I think there's a lot of truth in it. Maybe that's why sayings become old, is because they have enough truth to stick around for a while. But the saying is this, God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. The point's simple, isn't it? You should listen twice as much as you speak. Don't be so eager to be heard. Learn to be quiet. Learn to listen. 
And there are many reasons for doing this. Uh, learning to listen shows that you value others. Speaking all the time, well, that says that you value yourself. Listening invites others to share. It values what they have to contribute. But there are other reasons as well. Someone once said, better to remain silent and thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. Uh, they've debated who said it. Was it Mark Twain, Abraham Lincoln, Kafka? Who knows? But really, isn't it just a variation of Proverbs 17:28? Right? Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. So whatever the reason, the truth remains, we need to speak less and listen more. But that's just half the battle. Because there's a difference between hearing and listening. Just because sound bounces off of your eardrums and tr is translated into electrical pulses doesn't mean you're listening. Because listening, truly hearing someone, includes so much more. And that's what Psalm 81 is about. It's asking, what does it tr mean to truly listen to God? And this is important because, well, your eternity depends upon it. God calls you to listen, and God's call to listen is a command to surrender your life and your eternity to him and place your life in his hands. When he calls you to listen... That's what he's doing. He's saying, surrender your life to him and to what he says. Trust his word. Place your life in his hands. Our, our psalm rehearses uh, the history of Israel as they were uh, uh, crying out to him in Egypt. At least that's where it starts. They had been enslaved there for a long time. They'd been down there for 400 years. This is after the days of, of Joseph when they went down there uh, and there was bread and, 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 and the sons of Jacob were able to eat down there and then they stayed down there. But eventually the Israelites were enslaved. And, and the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, he started putting a great burden on the people. And they were suffering. And they were dying. And so they cried out, we're told, in Exodus chapter 2. They cried out to God and were told he heard them. And it's saying more than, than he just heard sounds. He listened and he did something about it. He brought plagues upon Egypt. We're told that in, in our psalm in verse 5. He led Israel, Israel out by the, by the hand. He, he relieved the heavy burden they'd been carrying. The Bible says he was a father to them. They were his children. He carried them out under his protective wing. He brought them out of slavery, out of bondage, and into freedom. And he brought them out of poverty, into inheritance. But he didn't immediately bring them back into the promised land that he had promised Abraham and his descendants. Between Egypt and their new home lay a vast wilderness. And in that wilderness was a mountain known as Sinai. And there at that mountain, God met with his people. That's what's going on in verse 7. 
He was, after all, their father. And what do fathers do? They call family meetings. They set the expectations. We all know it's true. All the kids are looking at me like, yeah, I know it's true. All the dads are like, huh, what? But dads always start with, I want you to listen to me carefully. Because dads know that children might be there, but might be somewhere else. In fact, as we heard in the reading of the law this morning, that's where God starts. His most famous instructions to his people are known by the single word, listen, or hear. That passage we read in Psalm 6 it is, is referred to uh, by the Jewish people simply by the first word in that passage. It's called the Shema, because the Hebrew word for listen is Shema. Here's what God said to them. I'm going to read it one more time. Hear, Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all your might. Take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him shall you serve. You shall not go after other gods, for the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. This is the great commandment. This is, this is the statute, the, the commandment Israel was given that Psalm 81 verse 4 is talking about. They were not to forget who God is and what he has done simply because they're now safe. They were not to let the, the lessons they had learned be lost. It's not enough to trust God for a minute when things are hard and then forget about them when they get easy. Dependence upon God is a lifestyle, not a one-time act. And the question was whether they had heard God, whether they had really listened, whether it had, had penetrated deeper than just the surface. And so God tested them at a place called Meribah. And what's interesting is that in Exodus 7, where this episode is recorded, it says that the people tested God. We get this. Kids, kids push. They want to see where the boundaries are. And the parents are, always say, you're testing me, right? And they were pushing. Having seen the ten plagues, having, having watched the Red Sea part, having watched the greatest army in the world defeated without them having to fire a single shot, without fighting. They're now questioning whether or not God can give them water and satisfy their thirst. They're pushing. They're testing. They claim that God didn't even have their best interests at heart. They accused him of wanting to kill them. And... and and you're thinking, have you learned nothing? Have you not heard all that God has told them? And this is what God wanted to see. He wanted to see if they were really listening. Our psalm says that even while they were testing him, he, according to verse 7, was testing them. Was their cry of dependence a lifestyle or a one-time cry of convenience? Had they truly heard all that he had said and all that he had done? Or did it go in one ear and out the other? Look what God says in verse 8. If you would but 
listen to me. He goes on to elaborate in verse 9. Place your confidence in no other gods. He's saying, trust me. Believe what I've told you. I'm the one who brought you out of Egypt. I'm the one who, who promised to care for you. Didn't you hear me? If you would just open your mouth, I'd fill it. Would they obey? Would they listen? That's what's being tested in the wilderness. Verse 11 has the answer. My people did not listen to my voice. Again, he's, he's not saying there was too much background. They, they couldn't hear me. They were distracted. He means, he explains it in verse 11, they would not submit. They did not take it to heart. They did not act on what they had heard. They, they, they heard, but they did not listen. You know, it's easy to point fingers. But since it's just you and me here tonight, let me ask you, how good really are we at listening? Sound passes over our eardrums. And then, how quickly do we forget? How many people in your life do you think of as really good listeners? I'm guessing they're the exception, not the rule. Because listening, really listening, is hard and it takes a lot of work. It takes time, it takes energy. And here's the thing it takes humility. Because when you're listening, you're putting somebody else before yourself. It may mean hearing something you don't want to hear. And it means responding appropriately. We all know the child's last words before he slams the door on his way out. Yeah, I heard you. He heard sounds, but he did not listen. The words did not penetrate the mind, the heart. There was no real listening going on, only rejection. And you can almost hear this at Meribah. As God has Israel at that rock in the wilderness and they're thirsty, they yell, God, there's no water, we're dying here. And he says, didn't you hear me? Didn't I say I'd take care of you? Don't you trust me? And their response was, yeah, I heard you. And the proverbial door slams. We know they weren't listening because of how they acted. Their hearts were exposed in their actions. They did not listen. So how does God respond? Verse 12 goes on to talk about the point that God eventually came to, not right away, but eventually. He did what many parents have done with their children. In many ways, it's the worst punishment a parent can ever inflict upon a child. He gave them what they asked for. He stopped trying. He stopped warning. He stopped speaking. He simply turned them over to their own stubbornness. He let them follow after the counsel of their own hearts. 
We often say, leave me alone, never considering the consequences for someone actually doing that. And when we do, we often make our own lives a prison of our own making. We, we, we push this person away, we push that person away, we push our parents away, our friends, and we, we do it to protect ourselves. We refuse to be vulnerable. We, we, we refuse to let down our guard and to let others in, and then we wonder why we're alone. And why no one warned us what was going to happen. We get mad when anyone confronts us and then we wonder why people don't come to us when there's a problem. Anytime someone disagrees with a decision, we accuse them of being unloving and unsupportive. And then our decisions blow up on our face and we wonder, why didn't anybody warn me? Over the years, I've counseled many women whose husbands have been selfish, unfaithful, and even abusive. At some point, it always comes up. What did your dad think of him? And almost every single time, the answer is, oh, he hated him. Let me be clear. No one deserves to be cheated on. No one deserves to be taken for granted or abused. But I do wonder sometimes how much heartache could have been avoided if they had learned to listen to their fathers who loved them and were trying to warn them. Often our biggest problem is our own unwillingness to listen. At least to listen to wise counsel. We seek counsel from fools and we wonder why things go badly. We, we, comfort, we seek comfort from uh, selfish and people and wonder why they betray us. We, we seek stability from things that are fleeting and wonder why that stability doesn't last. And we end up spinning our wheels, making no progress. And then we shake our fists at heaven and we say, God, how could you allow this to happen? And his response is, you told me to leave you alone. And I did. How many times is our problem simply that we got what we asked for? You see, the biggest threat to our future isn't uh, ignorance. It's, it's an unwillingness to listen, to listen and to submit and to heed, to take what God says and let it sink in and let it guide us. Before we move on to the promises God gives to those who listen, I want to pause and ask a simple question. Okay, if we're supposed to be listening to God, where do we hear him? Because if we can't find God's voice, we will certainly never listen to it. So where do we hear God's voice? First and foremost, I hope it's clear, we hear God's voice in the Bible. God speaks through his word. He speaks through the Bible. And this is why the authority of the scriptures has to be challenged and rejected and, and so ferociously contended against. The Bible comes with authority and that's what threatens us. It speaks to us and tells us what we ought to do, what we should do. And that scares people. The Bible, simply put, is always right. Not just when we agree with it. Not just when it seems right. It's always right. Its counsel is always good. 
The problem is never whether or not the Bible is right. The problem is always our willingness to listen. But God doesn't only speak in the Bible. God also speaks in our conscience. Let's be honest about this. Our consciences often, probably always, warn us before others do. Beloved, you are made in God's image. His fingerprints are all over you. Why do you think people have so much invested in, in theories like evolution and things like that? They're, they're trying to silence the image of God in them. They're trying to silence his voice in their hearts and their minds, his, their conscience. Why would you ever try to destroy the dignity of being human, of being created in the image of God and prefer to be the product of chance and mutation? The answer is to silence the conscience. Because if I have no dignity, if I'm not made in God's image, I have no accountability, and there's no right and wrong, and no one can tell me not to pursue what makes me feel good. God speaks to you in his word, and he speaks to you in your conscience. But finally, God's voice often comes in the form of a faithful friend. Proverbs 27.6, you probably know it. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but profuse are the, uh, the kisses of an enemy. When King David lost his way, he silenced his conscience, he stopped reading the word, but it was a friend named Nathan who came and spoke into his life and called him back to the truth. Beloved, God will send people into your life to call you back to the truth. And that's a gift. It's a gift. Will you be angry with them or will you thank them? Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but an enemy will multiply kisses. If your friends are never telling you what you did wrong and always telling you you did it right, they're probably not friends. And it was that way with Israel. They weren't listening to his word. They were silencing their conscience, but God sent them a friend in Moses. And he pled with them not to rebel. Rather than listen, they accused him of all sorts of evil. And as I said earlier, God did not immediately hand Israel over to their desires. He had, he had mercy. He opened the rock to let life-giving waters pour out. That's who God is. He can draw water out of a rock if that's what it takes to care for his people and satisfy their needs. But water wasn't the end gift. The, the water he gave to them that day wasn't the end goal. Look at the last verse of the psalm, verse 16. God says he would feed his people with the finest of flour and with honey from the rock. You read that and you scratch your head and you say, what's that all about? what he's saying is this the water out of that rock was just the beginning that's not the great gift something far better is on its way they were heading towards a land that was said to be flowing with milk and honey and as as that water poured forth from the rock it was just a start just a, a foretaste of what was become what was to come god wouldn't 
just give them enough water to, to get by. He was going to replace that water with milk and with honey in abundance. If they would follow him and trust him. The same is true for us as long as we're in this world. There's always something better awaiting. And I don't mean honey. I mean something far greater than honey. Jesus would pick up this imagery from the waters at Meribah in John chapter 7. At a great feast, he stood up and he said, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. For whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus said that any who listen to him, any who believe in him, would be filled with living water, with eternal life. Heaven would be their new home. It would be their inheritance. Any blessing they received in this life would just simply be a, a foretaste, a hint of what awaits them. And those eternal blessings, eternal life, heaven, living water, all those belong to God, all those belong to those who hear God, who hear his word and believe in faith. Not just those who hear the truth of scripture as sound waves passing off their eardrums, but those who truly listen, those who take in God's word, those who receive it in their hearts and in their minds, those who respond in faith, because that's what it is to surrender control, to place their lives and their eternities in God's capable hands. To look at God and say, you can bring water out of a rock, you can do whatever you need to do, I need to trust you. Faith is how we take hold of God, it's how we surrender, it's how we trust him. And we're told faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. We need to hear, we need to listen, we need to receive, we need to surrender, we need to submit. Not just let sound waves pass over our ears, but penetrate into our hearts and our minds and our lives. To be willing to say, I have nothing if I don't have God. I surrender all. I think we run the danger of making this sound like it's more, like it's harder than it is. So I want you to look at, again at verse 10. Open, mouth, open your mouth wide and I will fill it. <laughs> you get the image, right? Israel has come out of, uh, uh, the people of Israel have come out of Egypt. They, they've come into the wilderness. They're starting to, to die of thirst, at least they think they are. They're standing before the rock and God says, open your mouths. <laughs> and I will fill, you don't have to move, just stand still and open your mouths, and I will fill it. And he tells Moses to strike the rock and water comes gushing out like a fire hydrant. Literally all they had to do was stand still and open their mouths. Maybe you've seen uh, that, that picture of the bear sitting in the river, opens its mouth and the salmon jumps into its mouth. I, I, I thought it was like a fake, like doctored. And then my daughter and I watched Disney Nature's Bears. And they watched, uh, they followed bears up into the Alaskan wilderness. And they 
filmed bears doing this all day long, all day, over and over, sitting there, opening their mouths, and the Lord literally having fish jump into their mouths. What a great image. God's not promising you life without hardship. You'll be tested. You'll be tempted. You'll get thirsty. You'll suffer loss. But often, so often, we're living in prisons of our own making. We simply refuse to open our mouths to the provision that God is offering. We close our ears to his word. We follow our own foolish desires. And then we wonder how we got where we are. And God says, stop running. Stand still. Listen to my word. Surrender the truth. Open your mouth and I will fill it. Beloved, life is always better with God than without. His ways are always better than your ways. Even his rebukes are like waters of life. Our God is good. And he's worthy of us paying attention and listening. But I don't want to give the false impression that you're only to use your ears and never your mouths. Yes, God gave us two ears, but he did give us a mouth. And so what does he want us to do with them? I'd like to suggest two things. The first is to sing praises. Isn't that where the psalm opened up? Look at verses one through three. Sing praises to God. Sing to him with joy and gladness. Part of our problem is that we use our mouths to praise ourselves more than we use them to praise God. And that always leads to trouble. Let others praise your accomplishments. Use your mouth to praise God's. That's a good, good rule to live by. Verse 3 points out that we're especially to sing praises to God on the feast day. God gave Israel feast so that they could eat and see his provision and be reminded that he cares for them, that he supplies their needs, that he's a loving father who cares for his children. And that provision that, that they received on those feasts was always meant to be a promise of something greater in heaven. They had the water in the wilderness to remind them of the honey in the promised land. In the promised land, they had the feast to remind them of the provision of heaven. All they had to do was open wide their mouths and God would fill them. Next Sunday, you're going to receive the Lord's Supper, a feast in and of itself in a certain way. But it's a, it's a feast that, that points to, to greater provision and abundance. Like the waters at Meribah, the Lord's, Supper, the Lord's Supper anticipates a day when we will have more abundance than we could ever imagine. All of God's provisions along the way point us toward that final feast when, when God welcomes us to his table. where all his promises are experienced in, in fullness. And he smiles at his children. And he says, oh, I'm so glad you listened. Amen. Let us go to our God.